plus you hear differently. There's something that occurred uh, a couple days ago that I think I should mention here in terms of world news and what we're watching for. Uh, well, first of all, there's volcanoes, seems like they're going off everywhere, and a great deal of ash going up into the air. Uh, when Krakatoa, Kotoa went off in, what was it, 1811 or 15, somewhere back there, uh, they had a year with no summer because the ash cloud drifted around the world and blocked the sun rays, and there are enough volcanoes going out right now that the same phenomenon could happen very easily. How much it has to do with the weather that we're experiencing around the world, I don't know, but uh, in France yesterday, a all-time record of 104 degrees was set. They normally don't have anywhere near that hot of weather in Europe. Uh, so, and here we've had rain, 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 rain all across the country, and the crops are not being planted. And I read an article just last night that said it's it's worldwide. Uh, droughts in some areas and too much rain and floods in other areas. So the farmers around the world are screaming that they're not getting uh, the production this year that they normally get. And it's extremely bad here in the United States. So... The things that we read about in Matthew 24 and the other prophecies seem to be uh, increasing at a very rapid pace. But uh, we're looking for the financial collapse of the whole world economy, as Zephaniah clearly tells us, among other scriptures. Uh, but yesterday a step was taken that uh, portends great trouble for the United States. As you may know, and I think I've mentioned before, there are the U.S. dollar has been the reserve currency for the whole world. And any trades made, any sales made, imports and exports on earth, had to be conducted in U.S. dollars. They have the Bank of International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, which... Uh, monitors and concludes all those sales around the world. Everything has to go through there. Uh, I first encountered it back in Alaska when we wanted to ship some salmon to uh, Israel. And you had to go through, they call it the SWIFT system uh, that is centered there in, in uh, Zurich. You couldn't just put your fish on the plane and dry ice and send it to Israel you had to go through the SWIFT system or through Switzerland in order to make the transaction. And that's the way all trade in the US and the world has been since the uh, United States currency became the world currency. Now that has been threatened over the years by people like Saddam Hussein who was going to sell oil for his own, through his own currency with Russia or China or whoever, and not and bypass the U.S. dollar, and that's why Saddam Hussein got bombed out of existence. That's the reason we attacked Iraq. Gaddafi was going to do the same thing in Libya, and that's why we bombed Libya to nothingness, was to stop that because we have enjoyed being the ones that had the world's credit card, if you would. Now, you may have some credit cards, but they were issued by some bank somewhere, whatever they are. And the ones that issue them are the ones that have control and the ones you owe money to. So they sit in the catbird seat because they collect high interest rates and so on from you and make a lot of money off of you if you use a credit card and don't pay it off every month. And it's a scam but they get away with it. So the United States has been the issuer of the credit card for the whole world, if you will. And therefore, we could print dollars as we wished, and they could be used anywhere at any time, but people could not use their own currency uh, to do international trade. They had to use U.S. dollars. 
well, Russia, China, India, Iraq, Libya, uh, some of these smaller countries tried it and got bombed. Now Russia and China are doing it, and we haven't bombed them. I wonder why. Uh, we're scared to. Now, this has spread to Europe. As you probably know, uh, Trump has put stronger sanctions on Iran recently. And what does doing sanctions mean? How does it work? How do they control what Iran does or doesn't do and what they sell and who they sell it to? It's through this international currency, the U.S. dollar, through the SWIFT system, is the way they do those sales. So when the U.S. would say... Iran can't sell oil, what they would do would be to tell the International Bank of Settlements, don't you do any transactions between Iran and Russia for oil, for instance, not Russia because they both have oil, but anybody else. Uh, and they even included Europe recently, that they were not to uh, settle trades between Europe and Iran. Well now, Europe, which is basically... Israelite, and has been our strongest, or have been our strongest allies in the world, have been working on a system for some months to bypass that. And they've set up their own system so that they can use euros to trade with Iran for oil and gas and so on. And they have not only developed it, they announced yesterday that they are implementing it. So when Trump says Iran can't sell this and can't sell that, uh, Iran can. Because now they're starting to trade directly. So our staunchest allies have now turned against us in the economic world and are going to bypass the U.S. dollar. What that means is U.S. dollars are not going to be used anymore. Uh, and that is well in process now. So what do we do? Do we bomb Europe because they're not paying attention to the sanctions we put on Iran? No, I don't think we'll do that. We'll bomb Iran instead, according to the way the prophecy is written. Uh, so that's coming up. But this is just one more uh, thing that has occurred that is going to make the U.S. dollar useless. Russia had $92 billion uh, until recently, a few months ago, and they've been selling off their U.S. bonds and dollars that they've held very, very rapidly. And they're down from, I think, $92 billion down to about, uh, what was it, around $12 billion they have left. And they're selling those off every month to get rid of them. They don't want the dollar anymore because guess what? the dollar is going to be worth nothing very shortly because Russia and China are avoiding it. Uh, Europe is now avoiding it, and smaller countries will ally with them to avoid it, and pretty soon no one will want our money. Now let's draw that down to you and me. You have dollar bills in your pocket, and you want to go to Costco and buy food. And Costco says, I don't want your money anymore. You can't use U.S. dollars here anymore. Now what are you going to do? And Smith's and Albertson's do the same. And the power company does the same. I won't accept U.S. dollars anymore. That's what's happening worldwide. So we will not be able to buy and sell as a nation. And other nations will simply bypass us. That means our dollar goes to zero value, nobody wants it, and it will collapse our economy entirely, and nothing will work, just as Zephaniah tells us will happen. So we're not talking about theory anymore, we're talking about people who are actually doing this. Uh, Europe starting yesterday, they said. So what do our sanctions mean our, on Iran now? They mean nothing. Because they just simply ignore us and go ahead and do business with each other with their own money. 
So that is a development that is very, very important. When our NATO members, our closest allies, are denying use of the U.S. dollar. Now, they haven't given it up completely. They'll still use it for some things for now. But with Iran, they're going to bypass it. So I think Iran is in deep trouble because we're not going to bomb Europe. But we bomb the other half of the equation is where we're headed. So just to keep up with what's going on in the world and in our world, because it will affect us very, very shortly. Now let's get back to the book of 2 Corinthians. There is a recurring theme from 1 Corinthians all the way through 2 Corinthians where Paul is having to deal with great division in that church. Uh, we had read at the beginning how some were of Apollo, some of Paul, some said, just me and you, Lord. And others there, uh, which we'll read about shortly, who had set themselves up as being uh, the ones to look to. And Paul closes chapter 10 by saying, Not he that commends himself is approved, but whom the eternal commends. Now, God had trained those apostles, as I said earlier, uh, and sent them out to build a work. But wherever they went, uh, they taught the truth, and then there, there were those in the congregation who suddenly became presumptuous and decided that they should be the teachers instead. So the ones that God had trained and sent out, they tried to bypass and set themselves up as teachers. We'll read more about that here in just a little bit, but he's been dealing with it all the way through here because it was a major problem. So he said in the above chapter, don't compare yourselves among yourselves and do the job that God has given you, not one that you've decided to take upon yourself. So he continues that uh, line of thought and trying to get them to understand where authority does come from, and you can't dream up your own authority. You can't self-appoint yourself. God always appointed those whom he would use himself. And anybody who sees a formation in the cloud, as the old joke goes, the guy said, I saw a cloud formation that said, PC. So... That meant preach Christ. God was telling me to go preach Christ. And one of the guys who had listened to him speak said, I think it meant plow corn. <laughs> but we can find all different kinds of reasons as to why we ought to be the ones doing the teaching. And uh, that is happening a great deal in what's left of... Uh, the debris of worldwide church of God. you got people setting themselves up all over the place thinking that they should be the ones doing the teaching because they know more than the ministers who were the ones who taught them in the first place. So Paul opens chapter 11 with that thought in mind that who does God set up? Who does God commend? And he says, Would to God... You could bear with me a little in my folly. Now he's speaking tongue-in-cheek there. It wasn't folly that he was an apostle. It wasn't folly that he'd been taught by Christ out in the desert. And it wasn't uh, folly that he had been struck blind until he began to listen to God. But in their eyes, many of those people... He was not the one that they were at that point looking to. They were beginning to look to others who had set themselves up in the congregation. So he, in, in tongue-in-cheek, he says, Bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me. Uh, not only bear with me, but come on, bear with me. He's going to explain it again. He's done it several times in these two books. And it's been explained quite a few times in the church of God, but not many people listen. And when God makes it very, very clear through signs and wonders and the things that he has told us throughout the prophecies exactly where he is working, 
90% of those who were church members will deny it. So Paul uh, was experiencing back then what we are going to experience very shortly. That whatever God does, most will deny it. The whole world will deny those two that God sends to preach to them. And the, the church itself, 90% of the church will deny them. So 90% of the church and all the world. So when he speaks of this, uh, it was recorded for you and me. Because we're, we have been facing and dealing with the same thing he was, only it's going to get a whole lot worse than what it already is. So he says, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now here he was talking to the Corinthian church, which was probably uh, the most immoral church that had been raised up uh, out of an immoral society in Corinth. So every kind of sin that you can name was rampant in Corinth. And these people who had been called, had had their minds opened by God, had been a part of that. And indeed, some of it carried over, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 5, with the guy that was doing some kind of incest. So he was having to deal with all of that and to get these people to understand that they had not been following God's laws and that they had been very, very immoral uh, with all kinds of perversions, which is what they were known for, just as our nation is getting so very, very perverted today, as is the whole world. So he says, God began to tell you, show you things through whom? He was the apostle appointed to the Gentiles, and it was through Paul and those he sent that they had had their minds open to and begun to accept the truth. And now they were going after other teachers who had set themselves up and who had put Paul down and the Titus and Timothy down and said, no, we understand better than them and we are the ones who should lead. That's what was going on in Corinth. So he said, look, you've been ribald, you've been perverted, you've done everything under the sun, and now I am here to espouse you to Christ that you can be presented as a chaste virgin to him as his bride. What a transition that would have been, or will have been, when some of these people come up as part of the bride of Christ, because I'm sure they will. Some of them repented. So he says, my goal is to get you from being the most sinful people that I know of and have your sins all washed away and you overcome them and don't do them anymore and then I can present you as clean and pure to Christ because you don't do that stuff anymore and his blood forgave you so it no longer exists. So he says, look, I'm here with godly jealousy to try to get you to become the virgins that you aren't. But I fear. He says, this is my goal and my purpose. That's what I'm doing. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, what had Christ set up? He had set up the apostles. He had set up a ministry. He had said, you are to go preach the gospel, and you are to be not only uh, apostles, but there are also to be under you evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers that you appoint and that you ordain to teach my people the truth. Now, that's the way God set it up. And that was a very simple, understandable system. And we had it in Worldwide. 
and it worked fairly well. Uh, the only reason, I mean, the, the structure was correct, but the way it was administrated left some things to be desired because of human failings and human problems. But the way God set it up was good, and it was a very simple system. You didn't have all kinds of, like, a, like say, the American government, where you have a Senate uh, or a, a lawmaking body, and then uh, someone who was supposed to enact that through the presidency, and then you had a third branch uh, to make rulings on what was right and what was wrong. And they were elected over and over and over again, different people there, but it was set up as a matter of checks and balances against human nature because some of the men who set all that system up realized that uh, the governments of the world hadn't been working too well, and so you constantly had changes. Now, it was a pretty good system as far as man's government is concerned, but politics entered in and all kinds of chicanery and payola and graft and corruption has occurred, and now we have a system that is very, very quickly failing. And it doesn't lack much until it is completely gone. And you see all the fighting that's going on right now and accusation, and even death threats that weren't there 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So the system is coming apart at the seams. But the simplicity that is in Christ was not that way. What had the Corinthians done? They had complicated it greatly by people setting themselves up as teachers and teaching things the way they thought they ought to be and doctrines the way they thought they should be instead of what the apostles and the ministry that God had trained were teaching them. So it was creating mass confusion and people were taking sides. Same thing we've had over these last 33 years. So they've corrupted the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus, a different type of Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might bow, well bear with or bear with, is what it really says, or with me. So, there were those coming who had different doctrines, and a different Jesus. Now, you look at the Catholics, the Methodists, the Baptists, all of those. If you read this book, you will find certain truths in here. But if you go to any of those other churches, you're going to hear a different gospel. You're going to hear different doctrines. And it's a different Jesus. They still use the name Jesus, but they're teaching satanic doctrines. So their Jesus is actually Satan. He even told the Pharisees, because they had departed from the things of the Old Testament law and were not keeping them, that they were sons of Satan. They were no longer sons of God, but sons of Satan. Called them that openly. So, he's saying that some of you have a different spirit. It isn't the spirit of God that we brought that opened your mind. It's a different approach, a different way. And what were those people doing? Accusing one another, accusing Paul, accusing Titus, accusing Timothy, making all kinds of false claims against them, and creating confusion. So he says, bear with me here. And he's going to go on to explain, look, God sent me. He didn't send these other guys. And you're getting your heads turned to things that are not right. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. He's going to defend himself here, not himself so much as his office, that I'm not behind the other apostles. Christ taught them, but he also took the time to teach me. So I'm not behind them. 
But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. So he says, okay, you look at the way I talk, and you make jokes about it. And you put me down for it. But the knowledge I have, he said, is correct no matter what my speech sounds like. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. So the ministry had come, the ministry had taught, and had been manifest among them, and they knew the true doctrines. But they had some who thought they were smarter and understood it better and set themselves up as the teachers. He says, come on, who did God train? Was it so-and-so Joe over there who decides he's knows more? Is that the one God trained? Or was Joe self-trained, <laughs> you know? Or was he trained by us and then decided he knew better than us? So he decided he better be the teacher. No, he's, he's saying, I may not be everything physically to you that uh, would appeal to you charismatically or whatever, but I have the truth that God gave me. You know what? Christ was not a good-looking man either. He says there was nothing about him that would draw us to him for his physical beauty. He was not a handsome human being. I think God designed it that way on purpose so they wouldn't just look to a man's looks, but to what he was teaching and what he was doing and what he was living. So looks aren't everything. In fact, looks aren't really anything. But that's what they jumped on Paul about, or one of the things. Uh, but I made, we've been made manifest to you in all things, all good doctrine. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? So he says, I can admit that I'm not the best looking guy around. My eyes are a mess. I don't talk as well as you'd like me to. So, and I will admit it and abase myself. But didn't I teach you the truth? <laughs> I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. Now he's going to talk about the money. Because apparently some of them had a problem with money. But Paul said, look, I took money from other churches so that I could come take care of you. Now he had the authorities, he mentions in other places, to take tithes of the churches. That had come through the Old Testament was still in use in the New Testament. Uh, there's just a change in the priesthood, as he explains in Hebrews. Instead of going to the Le Levitical priesthood now, it went to the uh, ministry that Christ had set as the new priesthood, the New Testament priesthood, or ministry. So he said, I have this right, and he explained that somewhere else, uh, I have the right to take it, but I have not taken it from you because I didn't want to give you another excuse to say Paul's just here trying to get the money. That's one of the oldest arguments that there is. It's just in it for the money. Well, there have been some who are in it just for the money, but Paul wasn't one of them. So he did not take from them, but used the money from other congregations to serve them instead of their own money to serve them. And when I was present with you and wanted, that is, he had needs. When I was there, I didn't have enough for what I needed to do. That's what he's explaining. I was chargeable to no man. I had needs, but I didn't even mention them to you, he says. You know, you can sometimes mention something in hopes that somebody will take the hint. But he said, no, I had needs. I didn't say a word. Chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so will I keep myself. He says, I'm going to continue this. I'm not charging you tithes, offerings, anything. 
I'm not going to take them up from you. I'm going to let the Macedonians and whoever else use their tithes to support me because you won't. And there was a time he even made tents to support himself with new congregations so that he wouldn't have to charge them. We kind of tried that here. Give them as low a payment as you possibly can and survive, and then they turn on you. So, this is nothing new. So there were uh, problems there with respecting the ministry that God had trained and people setting themselves up to be teachers. And then there are problems of attitude because the minister's just in it for the money. So he explains, have I taken anything from you? Anybody out there going to write me a letter and tell me I ask you for money? Nope. Wasn't anybody there because he hadn't done it. He had asked the Macedonians for money and for their tithes and others. And he says, I use theirs to take care of you. So you don't have an excuse for money. And I'm going to keep it that way, he says. As the truth of Christ is in me, and he knew it was, he had the truth of Christ. It had been taught to him directly from Christ. No man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. He says, I know the truth, and God gave me the truth, and I'm going to tell about it. If it's boasting, then I'll boast about it. What, what better is there to boast about than the truth <laughs> that you've been given? You don't boast about yourself, but you boast about God's truth and God. Wherefore, why? Because I love you not? God knows. So he says, I haven't taken any of your money. I haven't done anything to you. And you hate me anyway. And did I come and spend all this time going through shipwreck and stonings, not taking any money from you because I didn't love you? He says, you don't think I love you. And you're finding your own teachers. He says, no. He says, the very fact that I came and served you without money ought to prove that I must care about you some way. He's trying to use good logic with them. Because I don't love you? He says, God knows. God knows I love you. But what I do, that I will do. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do what I have to do and what I've been assigned to do, whether you like it or not. It's not that I don't love you, but if I have to correct you, I'm going to correct you. If I have to do this, I'll do this, or I'll do that. I've got to do what God told me to do. That I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. It says, there are people who are looking for ways to put me down, to deny me. But uh, I'm going to cut off their arguments. I'm not going to take money from you or anything else. So they can't argue that I'm in it for the money. So he's trying to take all their excuses away for the criticism that he and the other ministry were getting. That wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. So he says, they've got their own glory that they're trying to promote. But how about them being like we are? For such are false apostles. So now he's going to define what these so-called self-appointed leaders really were. And the ones we have around here and throughout the church are the same way. Deceitful workers, that is, they do things to deceive you. They say things to deceive you. They may even believe them themselves, but they're not according to the truth that came from God. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So, they are transforming themselves. Christ didn't appoint them apostles. Which of those that you may have attended services with over the years, the last 33, can tell you how God called them 
to the job they have? Or were they self-styled? Someone like Jerry Flurry. Well, he was ordained in the ministry of God, yes, by Pasadena. But was he given the office of apostle or of Elisha? He can't tell you how he came to be an apostle or a type of Elisha. He can't tell you that because it wasn't there. He decided that Herbert Armstrong was Elijah and that he was, in his own mind, the successor to Elijah, so he has to be Elisha. And he's trying to do greater works than Herbert Armstrong did. He's building colleges and all kinds of things, uh, fancy buildings like we're in Pasadena. And David Pack the same way. He calls himself an apostle. Who ordained him an apostle? No one. He just decided he wanted to be one, or that he should be one, or that God had made him one. But how did God do it? He can't tell you the story about how God did it. Now, Paul could. He had been trained in the desert, he tells us another place. He's about to tell us that he had some visions and dreams from God. These guys that have set themselves up as apostles can't do that. Because they haven't had them. They're not there. So he says they transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. So it's the wrong Jesus, wrong gospel, and they are not true apostles. And no marvel, he says, that's no big deal, nothing to marvel at, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So these people set themselves as apostles, and through the chicanery of the devil, they set themselves up as ministers of light, and they don't have the light. They don't know. They just don't know. How many of them understand the prophecies of the Old Testament? You can't name one. Jerry Flurry still thinks Germans are going to come over here and destroy us. You think... ain't. ain't Angela Merkel and her Muslim buddies now are going to come over here and destroy us? No. They just don't understand. God has not given them insight. So if Satan can transform himself and his angels into ministers of light... Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Now, he's not talking about people out in the world here. Understand the context. He's talking here about people in the Corinthian church who had been taught the truth by him and Titus and others and made members, baptized, by Paul and the ministry, and now they were setting themselves up as leaders, and Paul says that they are of Satan. Now, I made that statement a few minutes ago about some of these who have set themselves up as apostles in what's left of worldwide, or the dregs of it. It's not really what's left, but it's uh, the remainder that departed from it. So they were trained by the one God sent, an apostle. They were ordained by him or the ministers, just as Paul and Titus and Timothy had ordained ministers and elders. But they had departed from the truths they had been taught. And if you're teaching satanic doctrine, then you're inspired by Satan, not by God. So he's not talking about Methodists and Baptists and Catholics and Hindus. He's talking about people in the church here who had transformed themselves thinking they were now apostles of God who were apostles of Satan. Beware. Be careful. Verse 16, I say again. Oh, well, no, I better finish this. They transformed themselves as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. 
Now, what were they doing? Their works were not preaching the glorious gospel of Christ. Their works were to set themselves up as apostles and put down the ones that God had appointed as apostles. So they were there for destruction, not for building up. Their works and their fruits were that they were destroying what God had set up and built. When you are attacking others continually and constantly and trying to destroy what is there, you are satanic in your approach with false accusations, wild imaginations that people have because they think they're in the know. And all they're doing is concocting these wild imaginations in their minds. What else could they have been doing? Because Paul was obviously not guilty of what they were accusing him of. So he's having to tell them that kind of thinking and deceit, they've deceived themselves and now they're trying to deceive you as to what Titus is and who Timothy is and who Paul was. They were spending their time tearing down instead of building so that if they could tear something else down, they could rise and be the ones in charge. So anytime you see someone tearing down, you better be careful because they're trying to exalt themselves. There's been a lot of that post-Worldwide Church of God. I say again, let no man think me a fool. Some of you think I'm a fool. He says, you better get rid of that thinking. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He says, you may think I'm a fool. Don't believe it. But if you still think I'm a fool in spite of what I just said, receive me anyway, or suffer me, or listen to what I have to say that I may boast myself a little. He says, you've been putting me down and trying to show that I'm not an apostle. Now I'm going to tell you some things to show that I am. Now, he was not defending himself personally here of any problems he may have had. He was defending his office as a God-appointed apostle. So it's his office that was in question. They wanted to put him down as a man, saying he doesn't speak well, his eyes look funny, and uh, he was just wants money, and whatever they could find about him personally, they were using to destroy his authority and his job. So they will do personal attacks in order to try to put you down. They did that with Herbert Armstrong, a lot of them. Some of them even wrote books about his supposed sins. They didn't know what he and his private life was doing. They had no idea. They heard a little rumor here and a little rumor there. So they decided that he had done this, 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 and this, and wrote books about it. And, the, uh, and with doctrine, you know, they began to say, well, he's wrong about this and wrong about that. And then they immediately went back into secular evangelism after he died. Or not immediately, but almost immediately. It wasn't very long until they started changing things. They transformed themselves as the ministers of righteousness when they weren't. Joe Dukach even said, If I'm not telling you the truth, may God strike me dead. And died of cancer shortly thereafter. So he says, bear with me, I'm, I'm going to boast a little bit here, I'm going to explain why I'm God's true minister, and these guys that are there among you telling you they're the ones, aren't. That which I speak, I speak, if not after the eternal, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. So he says, this isn't something that God told me to do, I'm just trying to show you the job he gave me to do and get you to accept that. 
So he says, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. He says, some of them say that I'm tall, that they're tall, dark, and handsome, and speak well. And Paul doesn't know nothing, and he's not anything to look at and can't speak well. So he says, all right, uh, if you're going to glory after the flesh, I'll tell you about me and my flesh. Beyond what you're seeing here, he says. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves as wise. These guys who were setting up themselves up as teacher were fools. You know, presumption is as witchcraft. When you presume an office that God has not somehow directly given you, that is presumption, and that is the same as witchcraft, and witchcraft is Satanism. So if you set yourself up as a teacher and start teaching others, and it hasn't come through God's due process in one form or another, or directly from God himself, as Paul was, then you're a fool, because you will have to deal with God, and he's a whole lot bigger than you are. You suffer fools gladly. You've, you've accepted these guys that have set themselves up in the congregation. Why does he go on and on and on about this? Because it was a big problem. And you know what? Those who had set themselves up and thought that they had been able to put Paul down and draw, get a following after themselves in some way, they thought they were right. They really thought that they were of God. Just as many of these ex-worldwiders think that they have, are of God, and God hasn't set them up to do what they're trying to do. He just hasn't done it. If God had set them up, they would not be trying to recreate worldwide. Because worldwide was not what God ultimately wanted, and he blew it apart. So recreating that is foolish. Totally foolish. For you suffer or accept fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are so wise that you know the difference between a true apostle and a fool, and you've accepted the fool instead of the true apostle. For you suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. He says, if somebody does these things to you, you suffer, right? Anything that's negative and hurtful causes you to suffer. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, he's tongue-in-cheek again, I am bold also. These guys are bold and trying to take over. He says, all right, I'll be bold too. But had he been taking them into slavery or bondage, had he been devouring them and taking from them and exalting himself above them or smiting them on the face? No. But these other guys were using their authority to slap them around. We saw some of that in Worldwide. Another good reason that God blew it apart. And in some of these organizations that are existing today, they still slap them around pretty hard and lord it over them. Still going on. Self-appointed doesn't work. So he says, I'll be bold also. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? They claim authority because they're a Hebrew. Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. Are they Israelites? Are they bragging about being Israelites? Yeah, I'm one of those too. Are they the seed of Abraham? Are they bragging because they think there's something special as the seed of Abraham? Yeah, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Question mark. I speak as a fool. He says, that's a stupid question. They're not ministers of Christ. They're not doing what Christ said. Who, for instance, did God set to preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and then the end would come? Was it Herbert Armstrong? No. 
He didn't get it preached to the whole world as a witness. He went into a lot of countries, but he didn't go everywhere. And he died, and the end didn't come. So that wasn't his job. Now, what did he do? By their fruits, you shall know them. What he did do was make a friendly calling message. And many were called to the basics of God's truth through Herbert Armstrong. He did Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He went to all the nations and made disciples for Christ. That's what he actually did. And then he died. Now, the two witnesses are going to preach the gospel of the world, of the kingdom, to the whole world, and die in Jerusalem, and three and a half days later, the end comes. They're the ones that are going to preach the gospel. What does it say right after it says they'll preach the gospel around the world as a witness? It says we go to a place of safety with the abomination set up in the temple. Well, the abomination hasn't been set up. We haven't fled to a place of safety. And therefore, the gospel hasn't been preached, has it? It's been preached as a calling work, but not as a final. And what does God even tell the two witnesses? When they arise... Zechariah 4 says they will teach all seven of the churches and fill them with the oil of God, not the world. And he gives them explicit instruction in Revelation 11 to leave out the court of the Gentiles. Don't even deal with the Gentiles. Deal with the altar and them that worship therein. So their first job is the church, not preaching the gospel around the world. And he says... Just those who are members of the church, the altar, and then the worship there. Not the world. Leave out the world. Got to get the church together. Got to get the temple built. Got to get Jerusalem built. And then the abomination will be set up, and you will flee, and they will preach for three and a half years while you're in Zion. That's what he says. How many people understand that? Why are these guys out preaching the gospel around the world as a witness as they think they're doing with their magazines and their TV programs? When the two witnesses aren't even yet on the scene, and even they are told not to go to the world. So isn't it a little presumptuous to try to go to the world when God tells the two leaders that he will appoint not to? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Have they been, were they called into the church? So was I. Did God make them apostles? Well, no, but he did me, Paul says. So he says they want to boast about how smart they are, how much they understand in scriptures. Or as one guy told me, I want to get on a stage and debate with you because I can run circles around you and make you look like a total fool because you don't understand the truth. Guy lives here. Crazy as a loon. So he says, okay, we've discussed heritage. Now let's discuss office. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. What a stupid thing to say. I am more. He had been trained more. He had been called more. And then, in labors more abundant. He had been working at preaching the gospel and going to all these Gentile churches for quite some time at this point. They hadn't done that. They just stood up in Corinth and said, I'm the teacher now. That's a lot of labor, right? In stripes above measure. He couldn't even count them any times, how many times he had been beaten with stripes. In prisons, more frequent. They, they hadn't been to prison probably at all. All they had to do is, done is come into the church, learn the truth, and they decided they were better than Paul. Once was I stoned, left for dead. They haven't gone through that. Three times I've been in a shipwreck, nearly died. A night and a day I've been in the deep. So, 
he was out there floating around for 24 hours before he got to land. That's jeopardy of life. In journeyings often, he traveled a lot. They hadn't done any of that. So he's saying, they're boasting? Okay, I'll boast a while. Let's, let's just, let's put a pro and con board here. Let's put a scoreboard. And uh, let's see who scores here. I've been traveling a lot. I've been in perils of water and perils of robbers. Out at night, walking along the roads, people hiding behind rocks to take everything he had. In perils by my own countrymen, not only others, but my own people. In perils by the heathen, my own people and the heathen both. Everybody I've had as enemies. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, everywhere he went, he was in danger. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And he was dealing with that right here in this book, in this chapter, false brethren, set themselves up as teachers. It's a very, very serious thing to set yourself up as a teacher. Same as witchcraft and Satanism. That's what Satan did, isn't it? I've been around God now for quite some time, and uh, I've thought it over, and, you know, I really think that I'm a better teacher than God, that I can run the universe better than God. And I'm going to get a third of the angels, and with my leadership, we'll overcome God and the other two-thirds, and I'll rule the universe the way it ought to be ruled. Now, was that foolish, setting himself up as God? Isn't it foolish to set yourself up as an apostle or a minister when God hasn't done it? It's all a figment of your own imagination. And he goes on. His, his scorecard gets pretty long here. In weariness, been so tired I couldn't wiggle. And painfulness, you get beat with stripes, it's pretty painful, all kinds of pain. In watchings often, having to, couldn't sleep because of the perils around him from his own countrymen and others. I have to stay awake to be sure I survived till morning. In hunger and thirst. Didn't always have enough to eat or drink. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. There were times when he was cold and didn't have clothes. This, how many of these false apostles have set themselves up and gone through that? Now, Paul was, you might say, unique in this. Uh, I don't think James, Peter, John, and the others went through as much of this kind of thing as Paul did. But he's having to defend himself against these false ones who claim that they knew it all. He says, I've been doing all this and going through this for the sake of the church, for the sake of you people. What have, what have these other guys gone through that think that they're so smart and righteous? He says, and on top of that in verse 28, beside those things, that which, that, that are without, as I was traveling, as I was moving here and about, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now you think it's bad enough being cold and naked and hungry and shipwrecked and stoned and beaten. But now I have to deal with the likes of you who are trying to deny what God has done through me and put me down and guys that want to set themselves up as teachers. See, that's a, that's a bigger hassle than shipwreck in some ways, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. That's a heavy burden, the daily care of the churches, having to write letters like this. I imagine his guts were in a turmoil as he wrote all this stuff. Trying to put down false teachers and get them to become chaste virgins as the bride of Christ. Quite a, quite a chore. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. So I've got so many things that I've gone through, and am I weak? Who is offended, and I burn not. So he says, these things you're doing are hard on me. <laughs> it's hard not to take personal offense. 
or offense for my office because you keep laying it on me with false accusations. That's what they were doing to him. If I must needs glory, if I, if I really have to do this, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. How do you glory in your infirmities? He'll explain. The God and Father of our Lord, Emmanuel the Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. So he gives an example of one of his infirmities again. In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. So the king had told the governor of the city to get everybody involved and set up a siege or a garrison to catch Paul. An, an all-points bulletin, if you will. Uh, FBI's most wanted one list. Catch Paul. I want Paul. I want to kill Paul. So everybody find Paul. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So he says, you guys been through that? That you think you're sacrificing for Christ? My life was in great jeopardy there when everybody in town was looking for me. And I escaped, let down the wall in a basket, probably at night, I don't know. To get away. Like the spies at Jericho where Rahab helped them. What time is it? Well, let's stop there, because he goes on with this, uh, and I'll be over time if I get into it, so I might as well just wait and do one more and finish this up next week. God willing, and the crick don't rise. See you Tuesday evening at 7.30 for Bible study.